0: We're going to start a new sermon series today. We're in the parables. If you have your Bible, Luke chapter 8. We're going to start right off with the parable of the sower, and we're going to jump right into it. I'm going to pray, and we'll get right to work on this parable. Father, again, uh, it's an honor and a privilege to open your word, to see what you have to say uh, to us from it. I pray that you would guide my thoughts. Uh, God, keep me focused and on task. Uh, Help me as for this first time we'd do this and run it back again Uh, just help me to say the things that that need to be said and that you want the folks that are sitting under your word to hear this morning and just i just pray that you would guide um, our time together in holy spirit that you would provide the conviction um, that we need from this word that you would use that to shape us and change us and mold us and we're especially thankful that we get to hear the words that jesus taught today and we pray in his name amen So, Luke 8, and we're doing the parables. Typically, when I start a new series, the first sermon, I've got to give a decent amount of background. If we're in a book of the Bible or a section of Scripture, I've got to give a kind of a decent amount of background so we understand where we're at. And it's nice to start the parables study in Luke chapter 8 with the parable of the sower, because that parable has actually been known as a parable about parables. So some of the background work is actually going to get laid as we walk through it. As I teach through the text this morning, some of the background of like how we study parables and what they're all about, what what are they there for, and how do we understand them, will come, come out as we're walking through it. So hopefully, by the time we finish today, you'll walk away with two things. You'll walk away with a real specific message and lesson from god's word from uh, this particular story but then you'll also walk away understanding a little bit better how to interact with these things that are called parables so luke chapter 4 or chapter 8 starting in verse 4 says this and when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him he said in a parable a sower went out to sow his seed And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. The birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So a few things related to reading parables this is is actually what I just read was the parable of the sower some call it the parable of the soils this is the story that Jesus taught now after this the verses that we'll look at after this Jesus actually interprets this parable for his disciples and we get a view into that piece but this is the story that the crowd would have heard and, and I'll just use that to share a few things About like how do we hear and understand parables First of all, right there in verse 4 It says a great crowd was gathering And people from town after town came to him And he said in a parable This is some of the context For Jesus telling this story Is that his ministry is growing There's excitement around what he's doing And excitement around what he's saying He's been performing miracles He's been teaching And he's been teaching a a kind of teaching that they've never heard before. And as a result of those things, lots of people are coming, great crowds. And that crowd consists of a variety of different people. It it, it consists of some people who genuinely are looking for this Messiah, this Savior of God's people who are going to come and save them from their bondage that they're in to Rome right then. There are some people who have like real immediate physical needs, and they've heard that Jesus heals and provides for people, and so they're there in the crowd. There are some very religious people who are there who are very skeptical, and they're there to maybe to confront Jesus, or at least to find things to use against Jesus. Whenever a crowd is drawn around Jesus, or whenever a crowd is drawn around God's word, there are various groups of people. With relation to that message, there are various groups of people. With relation to how people receive that message, and that's the case in this story. Matthew and Mark both tell us that Jesus is beside that the crowd is beside the lake, and Jesus is out in a boat, and he's teaching this story. And what you want to see is that as as interest in Jesus grows, there are some people who are there because they're interested in him, and others who are detractors who are there who don't have belief in him. And the parable is actually going to hone in and draw in on all of those people. And he's going to confront lots of people. You see, Jesus has never been interested in drawing a crowd. Jesus built a church, not a crowd. You know that that is the same goal that we hold here today. My goal is not to have multiple services and, yay, we get to move the ropes back because we have so many people. I'm excited and Pastor Lauren and our leadership is excited when people want to come and sit under God's word. And hear from the Lord and, and, and obey and listen and grow. When people come here who are maybe not as interested in spiritual things and at least are here willing to sit and listen, like we're honored by that. Our goal is not to build a big crowd, but our goal is to continue to build the church. And that was the goal that Jesus had. As a matter of fact, most of the times when crowds were built, he did something like tell a parable or say something really shocking to kind of separate the People who wanted to follow him from those who weren't very interested so that's the group of people who are around him and it says he told them a parable here's my definition of parable and it's just one definition there are many out there but a parable is a short story illustrating a shocking spiritual truth some of these parables and there are roughly 40 in the synoptic gospels Matthew Mark and Luke there are no true parables in the gospel of John um, but between Matthew, Mark, and Luke there are roughly 40 or so um, parables these different stories some of them are a verse the kingdom of God is like leaven the kingdom of God is like a seed there, there are some that are long and elaborate stories the parable of the prodigal son or next week we'll look at the parable of the good Samaritan but they're all short stories self-contained units and, and they're there to illustrate something as a matter of fact parable, you know, that's a weird word, right? The Greek word para para means beside, and balo means to cast, to cast beside. So it's a story, an illustration that's cast beside a truth to help some people understand it. And it's always about spiritual truth, and the reason that word shocking is in there is because one of the great things about parables is that Jesus typically uses them to shock people in one way or another, In most of the parables, as you read them, there's some element that the people, if you understand the context and their cultural context, as they read that, they'd be like, that's strange. Jesus will take something like today, he'll take like farming, and the way that they did farming in that day, and he'll just take that and set it down and use that as a a story. Next week, with the parable of the Good Samaritan, as we'll see, he takes something that was very familiar to those people and sets it in front of them as a story. But there's always like a shocking element to it that's supposed to like calls you to like perk up and listen you know when the pastor is just kind of like dragging on you ever experienced no you guys haven't experienced that but i've heard that at other churches sometimes the pastor is just dragging on and you're like what am i going to make for dinner or what sport can i watch today or how much longer until this is over right when i'm talking and i'm teaching and then i start to tell a story usually it makes us come back doesn't it right Jesus used parables to do that, and in a lot of ways he did that to help to to bring something, put it on the table, and then they would be like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I'd never thought about it that way before. The parable of the prodigal son is a really uh, apt illustration because just the father running to the son was something that no dignified man in that culture would ever have done. And so they would have thought, wow, when they heard that story, this dignified father is running. They didn't run. They walked slowly and intentionally on purpose and that showed their dignity and that tells us something about the story and would have shocked the original listeners and what it does is as we read these stories it's supposed to tease us into thinking more deeply about spiritual things it's supposed to make us wake up and make us think a little bit more about whatever those spiritual truths are it's interesting because parables always call us to action and one of the ways that they work best, like any good story does, is that they kind of catch us off guard. They help us lower our defenses. Maybe you get defensive when people call you out on things. Do, I, I don't want to ask for a raise of hands, do I? Sometimes we, if, you know, my wife or somebody else is like, hey, you're being a jerk. She does that. We, we need it, right? But if somebody comes in and says, hey, you, you know, you're being, you, there, there's a problem here. Sometimes I get real defensive. Does that happen to anyone else here? no okay good there we go andrew's gonna be honest with me right one of the things that parables do is that parables are able to like push truth into our hearts in a way that just direct speech communication doesn't do quite so well sometimes when somebody just comes at you real direct you put up a wall you build your defenses and you start to shut down right but sometimes a story helps us, to, the truth, to kind of come in. There's a great example of this from a, a parable, and it's not in the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament. You know which one I'm referring to? King David commits a heinous sin. He sins, and he commits both adultery and murder. That's, those, those are pretty big deals, right? And then the prophet Nathan comes to him. And what Nathan could have done is called David in and sat him down and said, you're a sinner, you're evil, you're bad, you're terrible, you're a murderer, you're an adulterer, and you need to repent and on and on and on and David could have put up his defenses and said no forget it whatever but what did Nathan do he brought him in and he sat him down and he did what he told him a parable and at the end of Nathan telling that parable the prophet telling that parable to, to King David what does King David what does he say with a punchline you are that man David gets all upset about this story and this guy who's acting unjustly and bad and all these things and he says you know what you're that man And the story allowed him to push a spiritual truth down into David's life that just calling him out wouldn't have. That's one of the reasons that Jesus tells parables, is so that we can take spiritual truth and get them into our hearts in a way that maybe we would be closed off to. So we're always looking for what those spiritual truths are from the text. Now, a couple of other things that are important, like specifically related to reading parables. The first one is this, that, that parables typically have one main point. Okay, So we don't have to look for like what are the 18 different points and like each of these little pieces in this parable has a different point. Usually one main point and maybe some other like branches off of that that teach us some like subordinate kind of lessons. But typically it's one main point. And that main point will always relate to the kingdom of God. It will relate to like gospel type of things. You might read a parable and learn about finances. You might read a parable and learn some application about marriage or family or some other aspect of life. But what Jesus is doing is teaching them about the reign and the rule of God. What does it look like when God rules and when God reigns and when God is Lord of our lives and our hearts? What does it look like when we've been changed and transformed by the gospel? And if we don't understand that about all of these stories, they could kind of mean anything, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan, I won't give it all away for next week, but if you go onto any kind of social justice website that's not related to Christianity, Jesus, or the gospel at all, everybody talks about the Good Samaritan, right? It's just kind of a good social justice kind of story. It's not about social justice. I'll tell you what it's about next week. But we could take, and people do this with these stories, is they kind of take them and allegorize them, and they can kind of mean whatever they want, and I can use them to justify my cause or my agenda or my ideology. They're always about gospel-focused things. They all relate to their context. Now, this is really important. Like, it's a basic rule of Bible study. When I read a text, I always read it in its context, right? Jesus didn't just like show up and just start spouting stories. Usually the Pharisees are doing something, that's what's happening here. If you look over a page in, in Luke, the Pharisees are questioning him, or crowds of people or things are happening. and there's some situation or some reason there in the text, and the parables are like the answer to that reason. We always want to interpret them in their particular context. The other thing is that we don't overinterpret each piece, okay? So we don't take the parable of the sower and say now like he was a sower and he had a bag of seeds and he was casting them and some fell on the path. He must be a bad sower or maybe like we don't say like the seed is probably like, you know, if you seed money into a good investment, then the seed maybe will return good. No, but people have done that throughout the course of church history. As a matter of fact, the great church father Augustine has one of the most infamous examples of the parable of the prodigal son where he allegorizes the entire thing and makes each piece of that parable mean something that it really doesn't mean. So we don't want to like overinterpret. Do you ever tell your kids, don't overthink it? Right? Do you ever tell your spouse, hey, don't, don't overthink it? Part of that is related to the parables. Like, we don't have to just overthink every single piece of it. And we don't have to answer questions that the parable isn't asking. Did you know that this story... This parable isn't about whether or not the sower was a good sower. It wasn't about whether he wasted seed or didn't waste seed. Some people have spent lots of time thinking about that. But we look for the main idea. So in Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8 that I just read you, what are the big pieces? There's a sower, that's important. There's seed, that's important as well. Even more important, there's four kinds of soil. And those are the emphasis of the story, and then the receptivity or the, the harvest that comes from each of those kinds of soils. As I'm studying it, those are the four things that jump out and the four things that we need to investigate further and understand what they're all about as we're reading it. One of the things that I did, and I'll put it on the screen for you real quick, is that we uh, we put together just a little resource list because there's lots of things that you may want to know and understand as you book to read and understand parables and one of the things that you'll find on the website is I got a couple of articles that are on there there are a couple of short videos that are helpful and then there are also a couple of uh, sermons that are really good on helping you understand the parables Um, so you can find that on the website it just says uh, further study on parables right on the home page you can get that there and it'll help you out I want you to look then at verses 9 and 10 the fourth grade he tells the parable, tells the story. And then verse 9 and 10, it says this. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, so this is later, and it's just Jesus and his disciples, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may, s- may not see, and hearing they may not understand. You think oh, that sounds kind of strange. It's actually Jesus... Uh, is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, verse, verse 9. And if you take your Bibles, go to uh, Matthew 13. Should go to Matthew 13 real quick. Turn over there for me. Let me hear the pages turning. It makes me feel cool. There we go. I should have done that in the first service, try to figure out who has more actual Bibles. That should be the real competition. There might be more of you, but they're more spiritual. Ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 13 um, the, the, the same story, Jesus tells the same story. It's re, let me say that again. The same story that Jesus tells is recorded in Matthew 13, Mark 4, and Luke 8. And, and Matthew expounds on this piece a little bit, this quotation by Isaiah. And he says, uh, Matthew thirteen ten. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given he will have an abundance. The one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. Verse 15, why? Why don't they hear? Why don't they perceive? For this people's heart has grown dull, dull, With their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart. And turn and I would heal them. Here's what he's saying. God's people were hard hearted and unwilling to hear. In Isaiah's day, God's people were hard hearted and unwilling to hear. 700 years later in the time of Jesus, God's people were hard hearted and unwilling to hear. This parable as well as the reason that Jesus spoke in parables, separates those who are willing to hear versus those who are unwilling and undesirous of hearing. Parables, in general, the stories that Jesus told, did two things. They hid the truth from those who were already determined to reject Jesus. They hid the truth from those who were already determined to reject Jesus. And they illuminated spiritual truth with those who were willing to hear. That's why in Luke chapter 8, the end of verse 8, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because the parables hide truth from those who are unwilling to hear, but they illuminate truth for those who have the willingness to hear. And so then the question for all of us is, am I willing to hear or not? That's what the parable of the sower is then going to be interpreted as. Jesus now, in verses 9 and and verses 11 and following, interprets this parable. Now, he only does this about three or four times with different stories that he tells, where he tells the story and then gives the interpretation. If you were part of that great crowd that was out there that listened to Jesus, you only got the story. that That stopped. You got a farming story, right? Then Jesus tells his disciples what it meant. And here's what he says. Verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now let's stop there for a minute. Because there's something that's missing. He skipped something. Jesus put something in the story, and he didn't address it in the interpretation. Now, I get in trouble when I do that all the time. If I read a verse up here, and it's a controversial verse, and then I skip over it. One of you is coming to me after the service. You didn't talk about that point. Right? You didn't tell me about that verse. Does that mean you can lose your salvation or not? And that's usually because I just punted, right? I was just like, ah. But I get in trouble. Jesus didn't get in trouble. He skipped something. What did he skip? What did he skip? Come on, Dennis said it. He skipped the sower, the farmer, the dude that's out there that's working hard, that's sweating. He made it into the story, and he doesn't get addressed in the interpretation. Why not? Here's what I think. Jesus doesn't put him in the story because he's of no consequence. This is one of the shocking pieces to this parable. Some people say that the sower is Jesus, and, and this is specifically about Jesus. Most people, myself included, believe that the sower is just talking about people who proclaim God's word. When I stand here and preach, I'm a sower. When Lauren is over there teaching, he's sowing. When you go and talk to one of your friends or neighbors or coworkers about the Word of God, you're the sower. The sower doesn't make it into the interpretation because the sower is of no consequence. Like, hear this loud and clear. The person who stands on this stage is of no consequence as long as they're opening this book, okay? And we talk about that regularly, and we'll keep talking about it. But this isn't about a person or a personality or a methodology. This is about God's word, the sower doesn't make it into the story because as long as the seed that's being sown is the word of God, that's what's important. Somebody stands on this stage and they don't have a Bible and I know Lauren has it on his, on his computer. I tell him you got to hold a real one so that they know you're actually going from the Bible, right? He's using God's word. I'm using God's word. Somebody comes up here and they've got no Bible. It might sound great. It'll, it might even sound better than what we sound. Don't listen. Right, That's when this church should cease to have growth problems. As if God's word is no longer present. I intend on going nowhere. Lauren intends on going nowhere. But if God were to take either or both of us away from here and somebody else came in and stood up, as long as they have a Bible in their hand and they're expounding that scripture, this church will continue. And things will continue to go well. Because at the end of the day, it's not about the sower. It is about What? The seed, right? And he tells us what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. The word of God. The seed is not a particular methodology. The seed is not someone's skill. The seed is the content of God's word. You don't have to turn there, but if you go back, at least in my Bible, if you go back one page is Luke's recording of when Jesus is talking about the wise and the foolish builder. And remember, the foolish man builds his house on the sand, and the storms come and wash it away. The wise man builds his house on the foundation, the solid rock, and the storms come, and the house prevails. And the rock, the foundation, is the word of God. In that story, the foundation is God's word. The seed is the word of God. And again, it doesn't matter to me what any other church is doing or what any other group of people are doing or how people are growing or not growing or anything like that. Here, at this place, for us, it will always be about God's Word. It will always be about opening and studying Genesis or studying the parables or studying a book of Scripture or if we're looking at topics and looking at what Scripture says about those things because the only thing that I'm responsible for is sowing the seed and it doesn't really matter how good of a sower I am as long as God's word is being sown. I would just want to like make sure that we're all good on that because to me that's really important as we build the foundation and continue to grow the foundation of a church that's been grounded on God's word for 50, 60 years now. And we want to continue to be those people. So he says the seed is the word of God. And then he's going to lay it out for us. And this is where we get to go. And this is like where I get to really start preaching. Wait, wait. We do know, right? We used to go from 1045 to noon. So now we start at 11 and we go till 1215. So if you have like one of those alarms that goes off at noon on your phone, let's just turn them off now. Come on. No, it's my watch, Pastor. I can't help it. It just goes off at noon every day. That's fine. I'm going to preach right through it. Set it for 1215 and then we'll know. But in 12 through 15, he's going to expound, and Jesus is going to say, this is what it means. This is the interpretation. This is the whole emphasis. And he's going to talk about four, the, the emphasis on heart receptivity and four ways, four attitudes toward God's word, four different like heart attitudes toward God's word. And I apologize to the first service, so I apologize to you. Last week, you got an alliterated outline with three points. They all started with a letter P. And I said, I don't really do that that much. Today, four points. All start with the letter D. I just do that for those of you who like to actually take notes, both of you. In verse 12 <laughs> In verse 12, he gives us that first heart attitude related to God's word, and that's a disinterested heart. Luke 8:12 says this. He says, "The ones along the path are those who have heard." Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved along the path. Now, in that day, and I got in trouble again. I get in trouble for so much stuff. Two services. I get in trouble double. But I said they didn't have John Deere tractors back in that day. And one of the guys came up and said that's because all the John Deere tractors were broken down. I, I Merle, I'm sorry. I told him. I t- do you take that up with Mr. Jewell?" He was a Kubota man. He had the hat on and everything. But in that day, they didn't have tractors, and so they had to have these paths that the the farmer could walk around in the field and sow the seed. But as you walked along the path, obviously the soil compacted. And Jesus is basically saying that compacted, hardened soil is no place for seed. It can't grow. And he's saying that's a disinterested heart. That's how some of your hearts look. Jesus is saying a hardened heart is the first heart attitude toward receptivity to the gospel. And he says what happens is that the heart is hardened and then the, the word of God is sown and it just scatters across that hardened heart and it can't go anywhere and it can't grow because the heart is hardened and so then the birds come in and take it and he likens the birds to Satan. The devil comes in and is able to take the seed away. And some people would argue, well, that's not fair. Like the... the birds come in and take the seed before it ever has a chance to grow that seed can lay on that path for eternity and it's never going to grow right mr jewel has an amazing garden hobby farm thing it's beautiful if he throws the seed on the concrete driveway is it ever going to grow well it might get in a crack and it might uh, no one point to the parables right that heart is packed down. That hardened heart, the soil of that heart is packed down. Hearts don't get hardened on accident. you realize that? There's always a reason for a hardened heart. Sometimes that reason is hurt. Maybe it's church hurt. Maybe there's somebody here watching online who are, who's like, man... Like, I went to church as a kid and had a really bad experience, and that was really difficult. Or, you know, someone abused spiritual authority in our lives. Or even worse, like physical abuse that happens in churches and makes the news and those kind of things. And church hurt happens, and that can cause hardened hearts. Disillusionment can happen. You watch family, or you watch church leaders, you watch people that you respect do things that are not respectable, and that can cause a hardened Heart, doubt, like having, not just having doubts and asking questions, but allowing doubt to continue to harden your heart. Doubt hardens hearts. If we have questions and we don't ask those questions, that doubt can continue to harden our hearts. There are lots of ways and lots of reasons that our hearts get hardened. There's pride. There's a love of sin, right? Sin starts in the mind, and it's just a sinful thought. And my heart's receptive to the Lord. And then it's another sinful thought. And it's a, then it's a thought pattern. And then that thought pattern ends up turning into secret sin that nobody knows about but me. And nobody's being affected, except for it's just continuing to harden my heart. And then the next thing you know, the person is walking away from the Lord because through that process, their heart was hardened. The path doesn't get hardened by being walked on one time. The path is hardened by continually being walked over walked over walked over walked over and i would ask you to think about that maybe again maybe you're here today and either it's you or someone you know who has a disinterested heart the end of the day it's not like it's not just blame it on satan because he came and took it away or it's not blame it on god because god let satan come and take the word of god away but we harden our own hearts And what a hardened heart needs, what a disinterested heart needs, is to be awakened by the Holy Spirit of God. Like before I can do anything for someone else's heart, or you can do anything for your own heart, the Spirit of God has to awaken that heart. So if you know someone who has a disinterested heart, the best thing you can do is continue to pray for them. You don't have to keep hounding them and pounding on them. You've got to pray and continue to pray and ask God to soften their heart. And if you're here and you like I got a disinterested heart, I would pray that you would soften that enough and even pray that God would soften your heart enough to at least ask a question. To at least like continue to think about what spiritual life looks like. A disinterested heart is a bad place to be. The second thing, the second heart attitude, verse 13, a distressed heart verse 13 says The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. So, the idea here is again, if you've ever seen a plant that grows up and really quickly, and you can kind of go over and smack it and it falls over, there's no root there, right? And it's interesting, he says that these kind of people are the kind of people that initially are so excited about the things of the Lord, right? we know those people I love church camp ministry say that up front we support Camp Gilead I go and speak at Camp Gilead I go to Awana Camp and many of you have been there and I love camp ministry but there's a phrase called camp Christians some of you guys who've worked in camp you know what a camp Christian is A camp Christian is that kid who goes to camp and they're in this highly intensive spiritual atmosphere and the speaker comes and it's convicting and everybody's living for the Lord and all excited about Jesus. And on Friday night, they take you down, they build a big fire, tell you to throw your stick in the fire. I won't tell you what they used to call the sticks, but you throw your stick in the fire and everybody's all excited about it and you make a commitment and it's amazing. And then you come back home from camp and about a week to 10 days later, what? Same as it always was, right? And I told a story before. I, some of you may remember but I had a buddy when I was in high school. and We all went to camp, and he got convicted, and he needed to get rid of all of his secular music. And so we came back to church, and they brought him up on stage, and he had this box full of all these CDs, of secular music CDs, and they had him smash them, and he's up there stomping on them, and the youth group is back there, and I'm like crying, like, no, you could have given them to us. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't have the same camp experience that he had, obviously. But then a week later, I jumped into his car, and he pushed his play, and it's the same music. He had just gone back out and bought it all over again. I'm like, you idiot. You could have saved yourself a lot of money, right? But people get initially excited about Jesus. And and oftentimes, they get initially excited because they come with, like, just totally the wrong expectations. And they think, like, I'm gonna go to church, and what's gonna happen is my whole life's gonna change, right? I'm gonna go to church, and, and... Jesus is going to make my life better, and Jesus is going to make me better at life. And I'm going to go to church, and, like, my bank account is going to suddenly just, like, explode. I-, I might get a girlfriend and a job. Like, Jesus is just going to bless me, and I'm going to increase, and I'm gonna, it's going to be amazing, right? He's going to expand my horizons, and I'm going to pray this prayer, and it's going to be super cool. And people come with those expectations, and they're all excited. You know what they're excited about? What Jesus can do for them, Right? I'm so excited about all the things that Jesus can do for me. And they come with these unrealistic expectations. And then when those unrealistic expectations aren't met, what happens? Then they get angry at God for not meeting their unrealistic expectations of God. And then they walk away from God. That's what this is talking about. Christians like this are like, you know when it's the 4th of July and you have the sparkler and you light the sparkler and you're like, woohoo, amazing, this is a big party. Do we have sparkler people here? Yeah, you're more like uh, M80 people. That's what I thought, right? Yeah. right? You light the sparkler, and you're excited, and you're running around, woohoo! and about 30 seconds later, what happens? You burn your finger, and you, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, she got it. It goes out. Absolutely. A lot of Christians are like sparklers, or I should say maybe pseudo-Christians, right? Get excited about Jesus, and we're like waving the banner and flying the flag, and everything's amazing, and then something bad happens. Our expectations aren't met. Or maybe we were praying for healing and the healing doesn't happen. Or we were praying for that relationship and that relationship doesn't get better, it gets worse. Or whatever that thing is. But the question with this heart is when times of testing, and as Mark's gospel says, times of temptation come, what does it do to my faith? Are my roots solid or are they shallow? Right? People say faith is revealed under fire. That's actually like a uh, I think it's from 1 Corinthians, um, a, a biblical truth. But our true faith is revealed under the fire of, of trials and testing and, and temptation and all those kinds of things. John 8.31 says, I wrote it down, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. Like at the end of the day, it's not about being excited for 15 minutes for Jesus and then walking away when it doesn't go my way. There's a third soil. Third heart attitude that's here, and it's the distracted heart. As for what fell on the thorns, they are those who hear. As they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life. Their fruit does not mature. Have you ever seen what blackberry vines can do? You understand this parable, and we have blackberry vines in the forest behind my house, and I watched them this summer just devour some trees, and the trees all died before I even got back there to take these vines out, But when I got back there, it was just like they were wrapped around these trees and the trees were completely dead and these vines had just taken over. And the idea is, is that there are things like this in all of our lives. He calls them the cares of the world, riches, and the pleasures of life. And they're all things that, like, sap our spiritual life. Cares of the world. Just the different kinds of things that take our attention. Riches, not, not, not money, but the love of money, right? First Timothy 6 talks about it. And as a matter of fact, Luke 18, there's a, another story. We'll get to it. The parable of the rich young ruler. They both talk about that. Like what happens when we prioritize money above everything else. If you're wondering what the blackberry vines in your spiritual life are, look three places. Number one, pull out your phone and look at your calendar app. Then switch over to your banking app. And then finally, open your social media app. You can look in those three places and you can really see where those blackberry vines are because my calendar tells me how I spend my time, what I prioritize in terms of my time. My banking app tells me how I prioritize the treasure that God's given me. And social media shows me what is most important. What do I want people to think about me and what do I care about in those ways? Those are usually the places that the things distract us from God's word. And I would say this, that we may not struggle with a disinterested heart or a distressed heart, but probably for most of us in here, at one time or another, there are things that, that would be those blackberry bushes that would be choking out our spiritual life. So you ask yourself, like, what are those things that are choking out my heart for God, choking out my time in the Word, choking out my desire to grow in my relationship with God? Finally, Number four. Verse 15, the devoted heart. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear. And on hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. And they bear fruit with patience. We all know that gardening takes a plan, and it takes practice, and it takes patience. And it's almost gardening season, isn't it? And you're going to have to get out there with a plan. And if you've never done it before, guess what? It could be a problem, right? And you're not just going to plant the plants and then walk away and 15 minutes later go back and make a salad. It's not going to work, right? It's going to take some patience. That's the same thing that holds true in our spiritual lives. If I want to be devoted to the Lord, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's having a game plan for how am I going to do that. Having a game plan and then practicing over and over and over again. And it's having patience. And that's why he ends it with that. They bear fruit with patience. This parable is all about heart receptivity to God's word. So I end with this question. How are you handling what you're hearing? In relation to God's word, how are you handling what you're hearing? I want this to be a church that helps all of us grow. If you're here with, and you're like, I'm just not really interested, I want to help you to, to be interested Hopefully at least while we're doing this, you can laugh a little bit and be like, okay, the Bible's not boring, right? If your heart is distressed and you're just like, man, I thought that Jesus was going to do all these amazing things and he hasn't, like I want to help you process that and think through it and have a biblical view of those things, right? And if there's stuff that's just like choking out your spiritual life and you're completely distracted, we want to get you back on track because we want people to be devoted to God's word and be receptive to God's word and spiritually growing. One of the ways that we try to help you do that is with the sermon supplement. It's online. Um, In addition to those further resources right there on the homepage each week, that gives you some ways to think about the application of the particular sermon for that week. Download that. Talk about it by yourself or think about it by yourself. If you talk about it by yourself, it could be weird. Think about it by yourself. Talk about it with a group of friends and, and continue to grow. In addition to that, right behind, again, Dan and Emma back there in the back section, there's a connect table. If we can help you in any way, there's a connect card there. It's on the seat in front of you. Fill that out. Love to help you. If you've got questions, you want to get a cup of coffee, you want to know more about what's going on here, again, we'd love to help you because we want to help you grow. Thank you for being here. It's exciting to see what God's doing. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and I will close this in a word of prayer. God, again, we're thankful that we don't have to uh, generate excitement of our own volition, that we don't have to uh, make up ideas, that we don't have to try to figure this out on our own, that you have given us your word as the blueprint, as the roadmap, as the way of understanding the story of who you are and what you've done. And we thank you for these stories that Jesus taught to help drive home these spiritual truths God, even this morning that you would help us to evaluate how we're handling the things that we're hearing, uh, our heart level receptivity to your word, um, and help us to continue to grow in our relationship with you even as we continue to open the word each week. Uh, Thank you for those who showed up for the first service and those who are here now, the fellowship that will ensue as we're done. And uh, God, I pray that you would continue to help us to grow and be encouraged in Jesus' name, amen.